Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Um, today's sutta is from the Bada Karata Sutta, uh, subtitled An Auspicious Day. Uh, many of you have heard this uh, often. Um, it, it's a short sutta, but it, it covers so much um, of the Dhamma, and the instruction is so clear right from the beginning. The Buddha was staying at Savati, at Jita's Grove, Anathapandika's monastery. He addressed the monks attending. Friends, What happened to David? Let me start again. David just came back in. The Buddha was staying in Savati at Jita's Grove, Anathapandika's monastery. There he addressed the monks gathered. Friends, I will teach you the meaning of an auspicious day. This one line, this first line, covers so much Dhamma and it's such clear direction compared to the fabrications so prevalent in modern Buddhism. Do not chase after the past. Immediately, the Buddha is saying, forget the whole notion of finding out about past lives and where you were and how you got there and who you knew. Do not chase after the past or project your thoughts onto the future. Do not get into any magical, mystical, or speculative beliefs. That's what that means. Do not project. I mean, of course, it means what am I going to be in the next moment. But most importantly, it means stop doing those things to establish yourself in some future non-physical realm. That's the most powerful part of that statement. The Buddha continues. Not entangled with the world, be mindful only of what is occurring. You've heard me say often that the Dhamma is practiced right here, right now, in life as life occurs. And it is in this moment that we can awaken, or it's in this moment that we continue ignorance. There is no past or future possible for human beings in that sense. Life can only be lived while it's unfolding. And if our minds are well concentrated and framed by the Eightfold Path, each and every moment will have a profound meaning. Why? Because we're just living it. We're having a human life in this moment. And we're doing it not entangled in the world. How do we become entangled in the world? Through fabricated eye-making, through taking things personally, through self-referential views, through believing that things are happening to me. The Buddha continues, free of distraction, meaning resting in jhana, free of distraction, well concentrated, develops compassion informed by wisdom. So again, the Buddha could, could have stopped with what most religions start with and, and say, just love everyone and you'll be okay. But he knows that that's a cruel thing to teach people because if your mind is rooted in ignorance, you can't always love people. And so when you fail, you're going to beat yourself up and probably beat others up. Compassion married with wisdom is what an awakened human being taught. Not just compassion. And it's an interesting thing. I didn't realize this until many years in practice after understanding what the Buddha went through. That he, when he left the palace grounds at the age of 35 or 36, he, he was in a position then to do great work for people. He had all the power and the money and the prestige and the position. Yet the Buddha didn't try to do anything for anyone else until he understood what the problem was which makes sense, doesn't it? 
This is why I say he was the most brilliant and radical thinker of all time. And that doesn't mean that he didn't, um, he didn't help people out when it was necessary, when it was obvious right in front of him. But he didn't go out and try to save the world. In fact, he never tried to save the world. He never saw himself as a savior. He didn't teach a salvific religion. But what he did teach is how human beings can awaken to who they truly are. And that's the most loving thing anyone has ever done for us in human history. The Buddha continues, mindfully engaged with what is skillful. Now, those that, that have studied the Dhamma with the Buddha and us know what is skillful. What is skillful is the Eightfold Path. The future is uncertain and death occurs equally for all. What does that mean? Why, what's the significance of that in this sutta, the Bhattacarada Sutta, an auspicious day? It points to this is the most auspicious day of our life. Because we don't know what the future is going to bring. And the cow might get us in the next moment. You remember the Bahia Sutta. And since we don't know when the end is coming, now is the most auspicious time to take to the Dhamma and awaken. The Buddha continues, Those who remain mindfully engaged with life as life occurs throughout the day have had a truly auspicious day. Being mindful of life as life occurs, that's true mindfulness. That's the only kind of mindfulness that the Buddha ever taught. And how does one avoid chasing after the past? One does not get carried away with the delight that in the past I had such a, such a form, meaning a body. In the past I had such a feeling. In the past I had such a perception. In the past I had such a fabrication. In the past I had such a consciousness. That, that, you see that relates to the five clinging aggregates. So I remember doing past life readings with Michael Harder and Sandra Ingerman, and they always came up with ordinary lives. Like I was a, I was a woodworking monk on some strange planet for quite a few lives. But I was also a king and a queen <laughs> and a, a ruler. It's interesting that we find these past lives where, that are significant to us when this life is, may not seem so significant. Of course, that was all fabrication. I realized later that most of the people that I was working with had studied something called neuro-linguistic programming, which is a very powerful way. And there's some uses to it. I'm not putting the, the technique down. But it's a very powerful and subtle way of repatterning the way the person you're talking to is thinking. And so that was applied to me. And I bought into it because I wanted to buy into it. And everybody else around me was buying into it. But all it was was, it was just a constant distraction against away from who and what I am in this present moment. A fabrication, delighting, and these things that I was finding out about myself in the past. And that just further encourages the fabricated view of I have in myself right now, doesn't it? Because we can't help but drag these fabricated past lifetimes around with us and have it influence the way we're thinking right in this moment. So as I'm thinking about this, I decided one of the reasons why I didn't like being alone is because that fabricated life that I had as a woodworking monk, I lived that entire life alone. So I naturally brought that into this life and say, well, that's why I don't like being alone. It had nothing to do with why I didn't like being alone. I didn't like being alone because human beings don't like being alone. The Buddha continues, this is called not chasing after the past, not delighting in these things and these feelings that we had. And how does one not project their thoughts onto the future? One does not get carried away with the delight that in the future I might have such a form, in the future I might have such a feeling, in the future I might have such a perception, in the future I might have such a fabrication, in the future I might have such a consciousness. That's most of modern Buddhism. It's projecting your thoughts onto the future about what you will become 
gaining merit from your Buddhist practice. And I'm not putting modern Buddhism down. I'm, I'm showing the contrast between what I studied for many years and what the Buddha actually taught. So for many years, I was engaging in rituals and practices and belief systems and meditation practices that I hope would transform me from this broken self right here, right now, the self that something is lacking in, and I knew it because I kept grasping after something more, and if I did all these things, I would become that something more. And so what am I doing, or what is anybody doing when they're doing that? They're living their lives in the future. They're not living this human life. They're stuck in a fabrication. They're doing just what the Buddha says not to do in the sutta. Excuse me. You know, the question might arise, well, what about aspirations? What about what I aspire to be in this life? There's nothing wrong with that. Deciding on a course of action, maybe going to uh, study some college courses or be become a doctor or become a meditation teacher or anything else. There's nothing wrong with those types of aspirations unless you take them personally, unless you treat them as if your life depends on it. The Buddha taught that none of those things are that terribly important about what we're doing as living a human life. What's most important is to be mindful that in this moment, I am a human being having a human life. And then whatever aspirations arise or I form in this moment will be without a sense of self. There'll simply be a direction I'm taking in this human life. Is that clear with everyone? Because we're such a goal-oriented society um, that that can even seem uh, impractical. But again, I'm not saying don't have goals, don't aspire to certain things, especially if they're within the framework of the Eightfold Path. But what's most important for our mental well-being is to be simply present with life as life unfolds. And so we're better off living a very simple, plain life, perhaps, just to use the old phrase, perhaps digging a ditch for a living, than spending every day of my life hoping I can be something different than what I am. Because now you've just lost your life. You're not living it anymore. And there's no meaning to that, is there? There's only, really only stress. And probably stress compounded by further stress called disappointment. The Buddha continues. Just to conclude that, this is called not projecting thoughts onto the future. <coughs> Excuse me. And how does one become entangled in the world? An uninstructed, ordinary person lacking understanding of the Dhamma sees form as self or the self as form. We, the Buddhist is saying we take ourselves and our lives personally. Confused, they see feelings as self or the self as possessing feelings. We do that all the time. We validate our lives based on how you feel. How, how was your day today? Ah, I had a lousy day. That, that idea, that, char that characterization of my day as a lousy day is based on how I felt during the day, doesn't it? But if I wasn't attached to my feeling, my answer would be I had a human life today. Uh, confused. They see their perceptions as self or their self as possessing perceptions. Confused, they see their fabrications as self or their self as their fabrications. Confused, they see their consciousness. And again, in this sense, consciousness is not some grand cosmic consciousness. There's no such thing. It's consciousness meaning ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Confused, they see their consciousness as their self 
or their self as their consciousness. And of course, we all do that until we understand. I'm not my thoughts, especially when I don't have any control over my thoughts, meaning jhana. Then I'm just ruled by my thoughts. For years and years and years, I lived my life chasing after the bottom of a vodka bottle or the end of a bag of dope. And I couldn't understand why I kept doing it. And I'm not, I don't mean to minimize the difficulties of addiction, and I'm not trying to do that. But what drove me to do that consistently was my own thoughts. And because I believed those thoughts. I believed I needed a drink or a drug just to get through the day. And because I believed that I had to do it. Of course it's not true. No human being needs to do anything like that to get through the day. All we need to do is take a breath, unite our mind and our body, and be at peace. Yet because I believed my thoughts and was compelled by my thoughts, the simple thought of a cheap bottle of vodka got me in my car driving to the liquor store or a bag of dope. That's the essence of addiction. And again, I don't mean to simplify it. And, and certainly those of you that if any of you are addicted to, to substances, please give me a call because meditation and the Eightfold Path alone might not get you out of it. Um, but in the end, it really was a meditation practice and getting to diminish my self-referential behavior in the 12-step parlance, that's self-centered behavior, that allowed me to gain control of my addictions and put them behind me. So the Buddha continues that by saying, this is what is meant by becoming entangled with the world. And how is one not entangled with the world? A follower of the Dhamma, who is well-versed and well-trained in the Dhamma, does not see form as self or the self as possessing form. In other words, we stop taking anything personally. With right view established, it's an important line, with right view established, they do not see feeling as a self or the self as possessing feelings. They're just feelings. With right view established, they do not see perceptions as a self or the self as possessing perceptions. With right view established, they do not see fabrications as the self or the self possessing fabrications. With right view established, they do not see consciousness as a self or the self as possessing consciousness. And so then I'm no longer ruled by my thoughts, aren't I? Or am I not? <laughs> Then I have gained control of my thoughts through jhana meditation and right view or the entire Eightfold Path. That's what the path is about. That's what the Buddha is now describing what we as wise Dhamma pract practitioners are able to develop. To develop an auspicious day, remain present with your life as your life occurs. That's why you hear me say that over and over again. That's the whole point of the Dhamma, being present with my life as my life occurs no matter how challenging it might be in this moment as well. So we're not just talking about when everything is wonderful that we can remain in our life as our life occurs, because that's its own trap, isn't it? It's putting, it's putting conditions on our life. Okay, I can remain present in my life as life occurs as long as people keep bringing me pieces of chocolate cake. If not, I'm not going to be happy. Well, you're just sabotaging yourself. Being present with life as life occurs means when you get the chocolate cake, you enjoy the chocolate cake. When somebody steps on your toe, you just move your foot and smile. And again, I'm, maybe I'm using a silly example, but we're talking about not taking anything personal. That's the whole point of an auspicious day. And we'll truly give ourselves an auspicious day if we can find a 24-hour period where we don't take anything personal. And so I would ask you to look for that and strive for that. Don't feel bad if you don't make it because most people won't, especially at first. But be mindful of that. Be mindful of giving yourself an auspicious day through your Dhamma practice. Do not chase, chase the past or project your thoughts on the future. Remain free of entanglements with the world 
and mindful of what is occurring. Be mindful of impermanence and uncertainty. Those that do so will have an auspicious day. I love this closing line. So says this peaceful sage. It's the end of the sutta. So, well, I'd like to hear what y'all have to say. And let's start with Meg. She was on first. How are you, Meg? I think you're still muted, Meg. Meg, you're, you're still muted. Okay, how's that? There you go. All right. Hi, everybody. So um, I can really relate to um, this part about not taking it anything personally because I feel like, for me, that's the key to unlock this, um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like this part of myself that wants to keep this story going, yep. you know, of me not being good enough, you know? <laughs> That's it, Meg. Yes. Or having, having to be perfect at everything that I do. And if it's not personal, if somebody says something to me with an angry voice and it's, and I, and I can, and I, and I figured this out one day after I meditated and I realized how my thoughts just keep coming into, you know, into my space, you know, and, and, and I, and I realized what I do to myself. And then, yes. then I had that experience of somebody was angry with me and I, and I started to respond, you know, with that response of um, def defending myself. And, and then I realized I stopped myself from doing that. And, and, and in that moment, I realized they're just doing the same thing I do myself. That's right. Yeah. That's great insight, Meg. And it's not about me, yeah. you know? And it's so funny because when you finally figure that out, it's like, what a child I've been, you know? Yeah, but it's let like, go of that judgment and just enjoy the release <laughs> of, of understanding. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. That's part of something I have to work on. Well, is just being able to be just okay with that. Yeah, but you're 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 you've gained great insight. This the whole point of the Dhamma is to not take anything personal and understand why, meaning why we yeah. shouldn't, because it, it's just foolish. There's nothing there's nothing in the world that can be personal except that we make it so. And so that other part about judging yourself harshly, I know you've heard me say, be very gentle with yourself. And this is what I mean. When you start gaining these insights into your own fabrications, realize that's just part of the human condition. There's nothing unique or personal about that, is there? That's why the Buddha taught what he taught. But gain encouragement by the recognition because we first have to recognize what we need to change. We have to recognize our fabrications before we can simply abandon them. But then at that point, that's all it is. It's not about analysis. It's not about judgment. It's not about blame. Where does it come from? Or anything. It's just, here's a fabrication. Take a breath. Come back into your body and let it go. And that's it. And that's Dhamma practice. So. Thank you, Meg. That was great. I'm going to just go across the top of my screen. Ram, how are you? I'm good here. Um, yeah. I, I just flashed on... Um, the part 
part where, where the Buddha talks about you know, not living in the future and um, how that relates to uh, aspiring to things uh, and, and how you how you aspire um, skillfully. Because um, I've... <laughs> I've never aspired to a whole lot in my life, uh, apart from what I'm doing now. Um, and I've always had people after me, you know, telling me I should be more ambitious and I should inspire to more things and to greater things and to, to follow my bliss, uh, you know, not having a clue what my bliss really was. Yeah, a la but, Joseph Campbell. Yeah. And, uh, and at, at the moment, I have, I have a son at home who's just struggling with that. Um, you know, he's in a, in a job field where there's just no future. And um, I see him really struggle with this whole idea of, of you know, aspiring and, and what to do with your life. And, yeah. you, know, because you're, you're, you know, you are looking into the future. But... It becomes skillful when, when you realize that um, this is just something that needs to be done. Yeah, nothing yeah. personal about it. Yeah, there's nothing personal. Yeah, you know, everybody needs a job. Everybody needs a, 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 an income somehow. Yeah, or an education. You know, maybe yeah. maybe you want to plan on going to college. That's that nothing. There's nothing anti-dama about that. Just don't take it personally. Right, and and don't fall for for what is commonly pushed as you know you have to go to college you know your life is not complete unless you go to college yeah. or uh, your life is not complete if unless you have your own business yeah. um, there's there's a lot of push into the future and it's it's a real challenge for uh, for most people to to do that in a skillful way yeah um, so I, I you know that was the thing that that struck me in, in this in this sutta that you can you there are skillful and unskillful ways to 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 look in the future. Yeah. Yeah, and it, they, a, a mind that's really rooted in ignorance will grasp at that. Don't you know? Don't set your sights on the future and, and just use that as an excuse to not take any responsibility for itself. Of course, the Buddha teaches something completely different, but that's when you engage in the Dhamma without the Eightfold Path, because right speech, action, and livelihood keeps you honest, you know, keeps you going in the right direction. So, you know, I I, I, I got to go see the doctor at some point, so today I made a doctor's appointment. I'm, I'm not, I didn't take it personally that they said I have to wait a couple more weeks than I have to, or than I want to, but... That, it's, I'm just using that as an example, you know. If we're gonna yeah. if we're gonna go to the doctor next week, we got to make a phone call today. But that's not that's not projecting onto the future. If I got off the phone and I kicked the dog and threw something at the wall because he made me wait a week, that's taking it personally. Thank you, Rob. Hello, Josh. Hey, John. Hi, everybody. Hey, John. I, I wish I could kind of really know when I th take things personally and when I don't. Uh, uh, 
I like to think that I, I, I won't, but, but I know if somebody does something or says something that upsets me, uh, I'll take that personally, or if they really pat me on the back. Same so, thing, yeah. Oh, it's the same thing. Or it could be the same thing. And so, I think it all gets back to what you've taught us to really try to stay in the moment all the time. And, and um, uh, I think that's the only defense I have against taking things personally is to just Keep focusing on the on the present, and uh, uh, that's a hard thing for me to do because I'm always thinking about that boat I'm going to buy that'll make me happy, or that vacation I'm going to take that'll really be great, or whatever. And uh, uh, my mind just goes there, and, and uh, yeah, I have to struggle to reel it back in. But that's all I got to say. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Josh. But that's the point when you recognize that you've. Just use the phrase, you've lost your mind, you reel it back in. That's Dharma practice, though, and you're, and you're doing it. You know, the, the, the fact that you need to do it is the whole point of this. It's kind of like what Meg said, you know. That's, Dharma practice is working because you recognize what you need to do. So good for you. I'm going to go to David on the, on the bottom of my screen. David, how are you? Good evening, John. Good to see you, thank my friend. Thank you for good. your teaching today. My pleasure. I don't have a lot to say, but I was just thinking about it's it's almost as if we crave craving more than we actually enjoy the pleasure of the object that we're craving. Yes. And that's that's the more difficult thing to get your arms around. Uh because it's a relentless grabbing and it goes back to the meditation practice. It's a metaphor for what you're experiencing off the cushion. Yeah. You know, that monkey mind, but it's also that continual grasping and never really being satisfied. So then you grasp at something else and it's that clinging and and again, the practice is where it's supposed to be at that point of contact. So grasping for something in the future can only be unsatisfactory uh, because it won't be exactly what you envisioned. And then you're automatically regretting. So the, the lighter lifting takes place at the present moment. And, yep. you know. I see my daughters struggle with that. You know, they feel like this whole period, they're bored. They don't mm. see any excitement, and they don't appreciate really life for the most part is mundane. So uh, it, it's a practice I wish I can get them to participate in, but I don't know if it's a young person's game. Yeah. Yeah. At some point they might, but. Um... You're, you're so right. The reason why craving for and clinging to our fabrications is the second noble truth. The reason why craving is is the second noble truth, the reason why craving is the problem is when I'm craving, I am distracted away from my own ignorance. 
That's the problem. As soon as I want something to be more or less than it is, that's still craving, I am distracted in this moment. The counter to distraction is what? Concentration or jhana meditation. So I require a, a way, jhana meditation, to reclaim my mind and then a way to change the way I think about what's occurring in my mind. That's the rest of the Eightfold Path. And so without that, without the Eightfold Path, my practice is simply more of finding things to crave for. Usually when someone begins a so-called spiritual religious practice, the things they crave for will be more altruistic or at least less hurtful towards others, but it's still just craving, isn't it? It's still just craving. The best example I have, and I won't get too into that, is the Bodhisattva vow. I'm let that go for now because I'm going to talk about that in the future. But for right now, if I don't want anything, if I don't crave for something, I'm not taking anything personal because the only the only person that could that could want more is a person that lacks something and believe or believes that it lacks something. And again, I go back to what I said earlier. The Buddha was the most radical thinker of his time and our time because he realized that a human being never can lack anything. In fact, he said, maybe i got to qualify that statement. The Buddha said every human being needs just four things, food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. But when you think about that and you, and you take away the need for me to have all the food, all the shelter, all the clothing, all the medicine in the world, then it's a pretty simple matter of living in the world and getting enough food, shelter, clothing, and medicine to live comfortably, isn't it? And that's what the Buddha realized. Him and all his followers, This is the, the economy was a little bit different, you could get away with it, but think about this. Once someone went forth and joined the Buddha Sangha, you never worked a day in your life. Of course, you worked hard to keep yourself going. You went out every day with a small bowl and you begged for your food and you begged for your clothes and you were expect to give a, a short Dhamma teaching in order to get those things. And then if you became sick, you or maybe someone else in the Sangha would, again, walk into town with a begging bowl saying, so-and-so's got this. What do you got to fix it? But that's how they lived. It wasn't, it wasn't by magic. You know, things didn't fall from the skies to keep them going. They had to work for that, too. But they understood the nature of that. They didn't have to have, I say this often, they didn't have to have the biggest hut with the most coconuts in it. A small shelter with two or three coconuts was enough. And when we start taking to the Dhamma, most of us begin to naturally simplify our lives. In other words, it's not even a, a, a difficult or painful thing to simplify our lives. It just happens. The things that we were grasping after, we no longer grasp after. And life becomes very, David used the word mundane. Mund, another word for mundane, if you don't need a distraction, is calm or peace. That's a mundane life. So, thank you, David. I'm going to go back to the middle row. Middle row. Jen, how are you tonight? Uh, hi, John. Can you hear me? Yep. yep. Hi, everybody. Hey, Jen. This conversation. Um, and I, I just like what everybody said. Um, and I, it, it, every, something that everybody said so far has sort of um, uh, sort of honed in my my view of, of this sutta in a great way which just you know points to the wonderful sangha that we have here yeah um and it got me to thinking of the, of the way that um ram has was talking about becoming 
in class on Saturday and um, how becoming is, is, is a movement in the mind, moving mm. away from what's happening now. So it's moving towards into the future or moving into the past. <coughs> and this, this phrase, do not chase the past <clears throat> and project your thoughts to the future are both, you know, there's that movement in the, in those words. Yeah. There's yeah. that movement towards the, the future and, and, or movement, you know, into the past. And so that's kind of a way that's to know um, if your if your thoughts are, you know, if, you, if yeah. you're thinking about the future in a skillful way or not. Um, you know, if you are, if you are currently planning your vacation, you know, if you're looking at flights or, you, you know, whatever it is you're actually planning, then you're probably being skillful. Whereas if you're just thinking about, you know, fantasizing about it, well, you're probably distracted. Yeah. I, I think the other part that came through for me was that when you are being mindful of the eightfold path, when you're holding in mind the eightfold path, that requires a lot of cerebral real estate. Hmm. So you're likely remaining mindful of life as life occurs. Yeah. Almost like you you can't project. It's it's harder to project or to go into the past when you are remain when you are skillfully working towards remaining mindful of um, the eightfold path, holding in mind the eightfold path. Yep. You beautifully said, Jen. Thank you. Julia, how are you? Hello, hello, everybody. Um, I'm, I'm going. To, thank you very much, John, for the teaching, and thank you, everyone, for all the comments. I, I'm going to take noble silence. Thank you. I'm glad you joined us. Thanks, Julia. Hello, Michael. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Um, auspicious day. Uh, I think an auspicious day is when the uh, when the mind and the body are united in the present moment. And if you can hold that in mind for your date for your day, that's an auspicious day. Mindfully aware of what is occurring, void of self-reference. Okay, uh, that's what prevents the movement we're talking about is moving the mind into the ego self and uh, separating from from the body. When the mind and body are separated, the, the ego self is born. That gives rise yeah. to uh, clinging and craving. Uh, and that obviously gives way to becoming. So that's what I got out of what an auspicious day means. Really outstanding, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, I'm going to go to Paul next. Oh, well. Tim, how are you? Hello, everybody. Um, if, if any Sita needs a uh, flow chart, Julia, this one does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to, to add on to what Jen was saying because um, I too saw that in that after the bullet points, the 
the conditioned thinking that led to becoming and the whole karma process yeah. of chasing the past. Um, that is like conditioned thinking. I mean, I know that we were talking about chasing the past, but you can also be avoiding the past. I mean, you can just displace that word to avoiding and chasing. They're the same, with the same results, I should say. Different, but with the same results. With that, uh, that idea of becoming, then Buddha uh, starts talking about the speculation of the future and the obvious eye making that's involved. In, in that, at least that's how I see it, and right into dependent origination of, of mm-hmm. when the Buddha describes on how we become entangled. Yeah. Great um, insight. Perceptions and, and consciousness and fabrications and so on and so forth, and the five aggregates leading to suffering. So, um, again, this tight little sutta is basically describing, you know, um, what happens when we things personal and yeah. become self-referential we experience dependent origination we go through that whole process right here he says it clearly yeah. and i love the fact that the buddha uh tells us how we can recognize that and get out of it um and it's also interesting to what david was saying too because i i even wrote down here that you know there's there with my personal experience or or with the Dhamma, I have noticed a loss of enthusiasm towards things that I used to self-identify with. Wow. Yep. Okay, now, the, the tension of that is in the world of entanglements, that can be looked upon as a negative thing. I didn't really intend to get really personal here, but I'm just going to say. But really what it is, is it's is is losing that identification towards those things that you used to be so enthusiastic mm-hmm. about. And the reason why I brought this up, John, is because you talked about aspiration, and that was that was, in my eyes, that was treading that fine line. Yeah. That Rama saying too, and everybody here. Um. I, it is it is something that one through practicing the Dhamma needs to recognize. Am I? Is this loss of enthusiasm? Is this lack of excitement or a mundane feeling to what David said. Is this coming from right view or wrong view? Is it coming from a self-referential area or not? And it's something it's not easy. It's something personally I have struggled with. Um, I've talked to Michael about this too with my hobbies. Um, Maybe Kevin probably has experienced this too. You know, you recognize that you used to identify with 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 becoming a better this a better that and it's just not as important anymore to be living a peaceful yeah. life and to truly go out there and enjoy peacefully what it's not enjoy is even the wrong word just be content uh, that's the right word that's endeavor is something that the buddhist basically saying here about being present um with work with hobbies with all those things relationships yeah you know it's 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 it doesn't happen overnight and i think it's i think it's a, a something that's an ongoing thing that needs to be developed as we get yeah. as we develop the dhamma i would agree with that too so 
as you can see, this small little suit there really packs it all in, and that's kind of what I got out of that and what I wanted to share with everybody. Thank you so much, Tim. The the uh, it, it's it's only a wise Dharma practitioner that can understand the difference between being disentangled with the world or being apathetic because from the outside, it could look like the same thing. So I'm disentangled in the world. If I'm taking things personally, if I want something to be more or less, if I'm identifying with it, if I need it for my own happiness, or if I need you to know, I just got a new car today. I'm entangled in the world. If I just happen to drive off the car lot today, you know, that's just, that's just what occurred. You know, I, I know I use that kind of as an example, because I think back to, there was a time when I first started working and I got, I got somewhat successful rather quickly, meaning I didn't know what to do with the money I was making. So I started this, I, for three years, I think I bought a new car every year until I realized that was pretty foolish. But anyway, I still remember the first new car I bought. I can't remember. It was an early 80s Cutlass Supreme. It was a beautiful car with a huge engine, very fast. <laughs> and I remember right now driving off the car lot, being disappointed, thinking, geez, I just depreciated my car by 20%. And, I, and then I had the thought, that's crazy. But it was still the thought that I had. And, and even then I was thinking about next year's car. Driving away, and I was 20... I think 28 or 29 years old, driving a brand new car, somewhat expensive, and I couldn't enjoy it because I was thinking about what's next, where's the future. And I still think about that today. It was such, it, it's a great lesson for me to, to go into the past and realize how this plays out. But there were, there were many things in, in my life that um, I got, and once I got them, it wasn't enough. Winning the, you know, the Little League Championship was a huge goal. But when it was done, you know, we went to Dairy Queen and there wasn't enough ice cream there. So, it, 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 And I think all of us, if we, if, we, if we look at our lives with just any type of measure of dispassion, we'll realize that it was always greed and craving and wanting more or wanting less of something that always got us in trouble. It always affected the quality of our lives. And so there's no reason to look at that like me driving off the car lot as what an idiot I am. But learn the lesson of what it means to be a human being with a mind rooted in ignorance and what it means to be an awakened human being. Because the awakened human being just drives off the car lot. Period. You know? It's a much more pleasant experience, by the way. <laughs> Kevin, how are you tonight? Doing well, thanks. Um, don't mind my new blue blocker glasses here. Ah, um, I liked what everybody had to say. I, I liked what Meg had to say initially. And I think, John, what you had to say, um, you know, we, we sort of jumped to what the Buddha is saying about projecting in the future. And, and obviously that's sort of propped up by the world at large and societies. Ram sort of touched on that. Different societies and cultures perpetuate that at different degrees. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's a movement away, again, from the present moment, from what's occurring. And... I think it's important to not minimize also what Meg mentioned and John, you know, the past is also moving away from what's occurring. And, and the past is when we go back to sort of that not enough, not enough and wanting more is the future. And, and we need to practice this Dhamma to understand about right here, being here. And, and it, we've yeah. described it in a few different ways, mundane, calm, content is another word, but, but to stay there. 
know, to stay there and to not want things to be different. John, you mentioned that that's what an auspicious yeah. day is. That's an auspicious day. Go through the day and just say, wow, I didn't really want much. And, and Ram touched on that as well. And, you know, maybe in society we have that. I mean, I, I felt like you're all in my head a little in this, this whole discussion because, John, you know what I did this summer and some of you do. Uh, I happened to be at a place of work this summer that was different. It's a place that I frequented as a guest and as a sort of a member, and it was a golf course. And, and I've played a lot of golf in my life, and, and friends of mine and people had this. They were in more defense of my fabrication than I was. I, I was happy. I didn't work a day in my all summer. I mean, it was a job. I had to caddy. I had the best loops, and I had some not so great loops. You know, some, some, that's the way it is. But I didn't work a day. Yeah. I was happy. It's just Kevin carrying golf clubs as opposed to Kevin playing golf. It's, there's nothing different. Kevin's yeah. wearing eyeglasses and Kevin's not wearing eyeglasses. It's, it, it was amazing to me to see people feel sorry for me. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. I, I never I'm, did. I'm, I'm having I wanted to join you. Life. You're paying me for this? You're paying me to be out here? I, yeah. Wow. I feel sorry for you, bud. You know, like for you people, like. Wow! Wish you could jo- do this for one day. You want to? You want to try this? It's you know. It's like so. It's amazing to see how fabrications are so strong and how we defend them. We prop them up. Whether it's back to what Meg said, it's not enough. We have to be something else in this moment, or we have to aspire to more instead of just being being you, being, being in life, being a human being. being. Like you mentioned, you know, maybe maybe I had to carry some golf clubs for the summer and to, to figure some stuff out. I mean, it wasn't much better. And and you know, like you mentioned, the hobbies thing, Tim. I've related to that. I mean, I've been fortunate with with friends of mine to play some golf courses that people say, "What's that like?" I say, "Well, it's it's just like a golf course. It's there's no difference. It's a fabrication. It's a prettier one than another one." But um, so I I, I just. It was really neat that you all touched, you know, my experience in that sense. And I don't yeah. usually like to get personal either, but that was that was really special. So thank you all. Thank you, Kevin. Jane, how are you tonight? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for the teaching. I appreciate what everybody had to say. You gave me lots to think about. Um, I'm just thinking for me personally, I, I have auspicious hours, but I don't... <laughs> I don't think I've ever had an auspicious day. So I want to string some hours together and hopefully get an auspicious day. I'm sure you will, Jane. Thanks for joining us. Um, so uh, Thursday. I had some auspicious days up at Wad Dharma Center. I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, our Thursday, uh, Sangar Thursday class begins the Truth of Happiness Dhamma study this Thursday. And uh, then beginning Friday, I think it's at seven o'clock, the the schedules are all on the website and the instructions for taking the course again this year on the website. Um, Our Eightfold Path Retreat begins Friday at, uh, I think, seven o'clock. I'm asking the teachers to join us at 630 for a brief meeting. And we'll conclude at uh, one o'clock on Sunday with a uh, someone teaching their first uh, lesson. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And then next Tuesday, a week from tonight, we're going to begin the Truth of Happiness Dhamma study for our Tuesday and Saturday classes, meaning we're going to do two classes a week, two chapters a week on Tuesday and Saturday. Everybody follow me? 
and the Thursday class will be doing one class a week. And the, the difference is that the, the Thursday class really is a beginning class, and they ask specifically for this. So I hope it's not confusing for any of you. And the format is just slightly different. Um, again, the instructions are on the website, and I think they're in the emails. Uh, but what I'm asking you to do is to read the, the week's chapter, whatever week we're on, um, write a paragraph or two, write any questions you have, and any connection that week's chapter has to the other weeks, and then bring it to class. And I'll, I'm just going to give a brief talk in general on the subject. And so this, excuse me, this year's Dhamma study is going to be more rely on our remarkable Sangha's feedback um, than a long-winded teacher. So uh, I'm looking forward to that too. And then we're, I was mentioned to Meg, I think earlier, we're going to do the uh, Vipassana introspective insight uh, structured study again pretty close to right after the truth of happiness and uh, I mean that really went well last year I think I think that the, the Sangha really seemed to have um, kind of taken off when we went through that study so I think we're going to do it again and maybe we'll do it every year so I think those are my announcements are there any questions or comments oh uh, a few of you I think Paul left Meg, you might not know these goggles that I'm wearing. Um, I'm not watching reruns of the Honeymooners back here. They they help me see a little. I have macular degeneration, and it helps me see detail again. So it, it when I it's nice to see all your faces, uh, although I I remember them pretty well. So I think that's it for tonight. Anybody have anything else? Yeah, and again, if you can join us on Thursday to support the new sangha, new class, please do so. I know it's in the middle of the day for most of you, but. Have a wonderful evening and thank you for joining. Peace. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.